The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Because Mrs. Taylor and I are taking a bit of a vacation, uh, Tuesday, July 25th, this show was pre-recorded on July 20th. As usual, I want to remind you that I am the editor of J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And also like to remind you that you can subscribe to Chen Lin's newsletters, uh, Chen Lin's newsletter, Chen Picks, uh, at chenpicks.com. That is, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. They are, for today's show, New Range Gold, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, Novo Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., GMV Minerals, Fireweed Zinc, and Osprey Gold Development. Well, I've titled today's show, Our Dysfunctional Government is Good News. Our guests today are Richard Mayberry and John Kaiser. Because this show was pre-recorded a few days in advance of, t- of today's show, Michael Oliver will not be with us this week. I am hopeful that he will be with us next week. But the good news is that Michael sees the market's pretty much unchanged. That is, we have a bear market in the dollar and in uh, U.S. Treasuries, and we have a bull market in gold and commodities. A constant lament is heard in the mainstream media that the government isn't doing enough. But as I believe Richard Mayberry will tell us, our founding fathers would rejoice if they were aware of the dysfunctional government because an emasculated government is exactly what they designed. They knew from history that the best government is the least government. They designed the United States government so that as it grew, as well as in the Uh, fighting for control, eventually the entire horrid machine would grind to a halt. I believe Richard will explain why, for example, failure of the Republicans to pass a health care bill is actually good news. Speaking of good news, those of you who own some shares of Novo Resources, Resources certainly have some good news. 
The stock has more than doubled uh, from the start of this year on news of a potentially large field of high-grade gold nuggets discovered by Novo Resources in northwestern Australia. It seems to be the Whitwaters Rand discovery that Dr. Whitney, or Dr. Uh, Quinton Henning has been looking for over the past 13 years has perhaps been found. But there may be reasons to believe a doubling of that company's share price may only be just the beginning. John Kaiser, who has begun researching your host's favorite gold stock, will provide his views on the prospects for Novo to discover one of the biggest gold deposits in many years uh, after our first commercial break in just a few minutes from now. Well, Dr. Henning uh, himself is scheduled to come on this show on August 22nd. By that time, the market should start to have a a lot more news about the gold grades there at that uh, Australian project. They should know more about the continuity of mineralization over an eight-kilometer strike length and whether mineralization is, in fact, uh, on major relatively flat-lying reef uh, of several meters of thickness. These are kinds of the parameters that uh, I've been led to believe could be, in fact, the case. Depending on those factors, I believe this could be one of the greatest gold exploration stories that I've ever covered in my newsletter that dates back to 1981. I would like to remind you that Dr. Uh, Henning has pointed out uh, on this show a few, just a few weeks ago that there was a deep hole drilled some 65 kilometers down dip to the south from where these gold nuggets are being found. And his view is that it very well may be the same reef stretching out some 65 kilometers. Well, you can start to see something very, very extraordinary if, in fact, it is continuous, if, in fact, the grades are high and it is that large. But this is a speculation at this point in time, No, no getting around that. Uh, lots of work needs to be done yet before we can know or even start to have a, a, an understanding of what this might be all about. Uh, so we uh, that's one of the reasons I'm really happy to have John Kaiser on with me today because John has just now started looking at this. This is a kind of story that John Kaiser likes to look at, stories that have the potential to be something extraordinary. They don't come along very often. Uh, but what they when they do, they, the payoffs can be absolutely enormous. So, um, well, we'll f- keep our fingers crossed, those of us that own Novo, and we're going to see what John Kaiser has to say in just a couple of minutes now after the first commercial break. I should mention that Jim Payne of Di- Dinosert was scheduled to be a guest on this week's show. He may have been available to do this show live on Tuesday. I'm not sure about that. But as of July 20th, when this was being pre-recorded, he opted not to come on the show for reasons he did not spell out. We have had many emails from listeners wondering about Dinosert. Our one listener named John, who learned that Jim would not be on the show today, sent an email to me and he asked, he says, is there any reason for canceling the upcoming Dinosert interview with Jim Payne? And he also wondered whether or not I was still keeping Dinosert as a buy recommendation in my newsletter. Well, as I just said, there's no definite reason given by Jim for not coming on the show. My own speculation is that there are probably some glitches. Any new startup like this, with and especially one that is expecting to grow very rapidly as they had projected, uh, you're going to have some some hiccups along the way. So my 
speculation, and it's only a speculation, is that there are some kinks, some hiccups, uh, and that Jim would like to come on the show as soon as he has those resolved, and hopefully that won't be too far into the future. With regard to whether or not it's still a recommendation, well, it's still in my newsletter. I have put it on a hold for now because uh, I'd like some explanations myself as to what's going on. We haven't heard much of anything from the company, and sometimes when you have a great deal of silence, it's, it's not necessarily... Uh, good news but I'm not saying it's not I just don't know and uh, the the story is very promising I'm certainly not losing heart on it Uh, but I do want to know before we buy more shares it's just a wise thing to know and and frankly I don't have any right to know anything more than the rest of you do Uh, publicly available information the problem is there just hasn't been too much of it and so we're all waiting for Jim Payne to fill us in and hopefully he'll do that in the very near future well we do have to take a commercial break now But don't go away because John Kaiser is coming up to talk to us about Novo Resources and maybe we can tease another company or two of his favorites out if there's time for him to talk about that. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Kaiser. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again John Kaiser. John uh, Kaiser is an independent analyst based in San Francisco. Uh, He's covered the junior resource sector since 1983. That's just two years later than I started. Well, he has a background in the resource sector. I've known him for many years. Uh, He... Uh, he's, he uh, is very, very honest in the way he deals with, uh, with these companies, uh, very careful 
uh, in the way he uh, recommends things to his uh, to his subscribers, uh, and I respect him very much for his integrity uh, and his uh, abilities as well. Uh, John, thanks for joining me today. Jay, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Always good to have you, and before we go any further, let me tell people it's kaiserresearch.com, kaiser, K-A-I-S-E-R, research.com, to learn more about John's work. Uh, John, Novo Resources is a company that I've been following now for three years or so. This kind of reminds me in some ways of some of the companies that you follow. Scandium, I know, is one of your favorites. These things a lot of times take a lot of time and patience. Novo has taken quite a bit of my patience. I know Scandium and others have yours. But sometimes if you're looking for something extraordinary, you do have to be patient. And I was just really delighted that you have started looking at Novo because, as you know, it's one of my favorites. So I'd like to just uh, put it out to you. Let me know and let our listeners know what your thoughts are about Novo Resources at this time. What are the possibilities, but what also are the risks that they should be aware of? Jay, this is an extraordinary story, and we're going to have to break it down into a few little segments here. First of all, I've watched uh, this story, uh, you know, the last three years since you covered it. I never touched it because I always felt it was overpriced based on what it has, the Beaton's Creek. And even today in this new Purdy's Reward Comment Well area, the stock with 160 million shares trading at $1.50, $1.70 with 50% interest, 80% interest, it's, it's still way ahead of itself. But mm-hmm. what has completely intrigued me are the staggering implications if Quentin Hennig's bigger picture theory that this is the missing half of the Witz Waters Rand Reef turns out to be correct. Um, <laughs> I'd like to take your audience back to uh, 1991 uh, when the Lac de Gras diamond discovery was made in the Arctic Craton. And people knew this had potential for diamonds. And, uh, and the beers had even looked in that area. They hadn't found anything. So it was just regarded as this it failed craton that never really had anything like in the Kapwal Craton in South Africa or the Kalahari Craton in, uh, in, in Botswana. Um, but that 1992, a little junior, 60 cents, put out news. It had found diamonds. The news was never quite you know, strong enough to say this is absolutely for sure. But within a year, that stock went to $60, $2 billion valuation. It turned <laughs> out to be a major field. It turned out that the area was much bigger than the Diamet Minerals had gone after. Uh, there was an area the size of Switzerland staked. It was a huge, huge staking rush, and it helped transform the whole diamond industry around the world. This thing, I think, is one of those similar-scale discoveries that's going to create a monster bull market for the junior resource sector, not just mm. for the companies that will have managed to have a piece of this part of the Pilbara Craton in, uh, in Western Australia, but also for all these out-of-the-box companies that where the management comes up with interesting theories for finding deposits undercover, like my one of my favorites, Nevada Exploration Inc., with its groundwater stuff in, in Nevada's mm-hmm. uh, uh, base and arranged topography. So understanding this Witzwaters-Rand connection, why what they, Quentin and Nova were focusing on earlier may have been just a very far-removed distal uh, manifestation of this phenomenon. This is what I'd like to talk with you about, all the theory behind this and why this million or uh, million square, million hectares that uh, uh, Novo now controls 
could make this not just a stock that goes to five, five to ten dollars, but one that could go to fifty to a hundred dollars. And I disclose, I have not even formally recommended it. I do not own the stock. I'm looking at this from the perspective of seeing one of these um, absolutely incredible discoveries emerging. Yeah, indeed. Well, Beaton's Creek, of course, was what I like to call baby Whitwater's Rand. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, the economics of that, I think uh, your, your view was, was correct. It's very small. It's relatively small. Maybe sixty to 80,000 ounces is kind of what they're thinking. They're moving towards uh, feasibility, a, a pre-feasibility study anyway right now, I think towards the end of the year, early next year. But it isn't the kind of thing that you know, that's going to be a world changer. But this definitely seems to have that potential. So go ahead and talk to us a little bit about the theories that, that drove Quentin Henning to, uh, to, to this basin area in northwestern Australia. Well, first some background about the Witzwatersrand Basin, which, which is, sits on the Capfal Craton, one of the oldest cratons, actually probably the oldest craton in the world, formed uh, 3.6 billion years ago. The Witzwatersrand reefs are only uh, up to two meters thick. They are laterally extensive. They go down dip over 100 kilometers. They rim this big basin that may have been a giant inland lake or possibly the continental shelf of an ocean that was big. Yeah. The earth was mainly ocean. Uh, mm. The original Ur continent, as they call it, the very first land that showed up was smaller than Australia is today. And the theory was that uh, whatever it was that rose in the up, uphill area, the, the, the green stones and so on, were very mineralized, and the erosion uh, shed all this uh, gold into the, uh, into the lake or the, the onshore area and created these alluvial deposits, uh, which is why they're so very narrow. Now, mm-hmm. what Quentin Hennig has said is that uh, the two dominant theories in the past hundred years one, that this is all just eroded gold uh, dragged down the hills and deposited in the deltas of the rivers draining into this lake or, uh, or, or marine environment, uh, uh, that, that this, is, this is alluvial. Uh, he says this is not possible. The other theory mm-hmm. is that the, the sulfur of, with the pyrite and the gold came in through later hydrothermal uh, uh, movement that somehow managed to penetrate just this horizon and create this very consistent laterally extensive uh, reef of gold mineralization. Quinton's theory, and, and I've read his paper, that of his associates, and, and it's fascinating. He points out that back then, the Earth was a really, really different, nasty place. There was no oxygen. Volcanoes were spewing hydrogen sulfide into the air. The water was full of hydrogen sulfide. It's possible that the water itself became more saturated with gold than is anywhere near possible in the last... Uh, billion and a half, two billion years. And mm-hmm. the theory is that like algal material, that's, you know, life that started growing about 3.6 billion years ago, in this lake or marine environment, it formed these mats of carbonaceous material. And there was this maybe of a, a thousand, couple thousand year window where something dramatic happened, which caused gold literally to drop out of the seawater or lake water perhaps uh, uh, chemically helped along, catalyzed by the carbonaceous material sitting there on, in this uh, shallow area off the, uh, off the hills, and that these nuggets literally grew. They didn't come from the hillsides, except mm-hmm. maybe originally and got dissolved, but there was this mass precipitation 
event, which is why there is such an extraordinary range. Now, there's similar things around the world. For example, there's the Elliott Lake conglomerate system, which has uranium in it and, and not much gold. And uh, there is uranium also associated with the Witz Watersrand Reef. 1.6 billion ounces have been mined. Another billion are known to exist but are really too deep to, uh, to, to access. But the Pilbara, if it was connected to this, and again, this theory is, this knowledge is only like 50 years old when plate tectonics was finally understood and they were able to mm-hmm. say, well, this looks similar. But now they say this was actually connected. It's possible that the Pilbara craton with its Hemsley Basin was actually in the same part of this world undergoing the same precipitation events. Now, what has been discouraging is that although nuggets have been found in this, this uh, Kakarata area uh, near where the, uh, the, the new Purdy, Purdy's reward target is, um, efforts to find gold have failed. There's been a, a fair bit of drilling done, deep drilling, to try and intersect, and they have found these quartz pebble conglomerates, but they have not had much uranium, and they've had even less gold, except in this small area of, uh, of, of, of Beaton's Creek. And mm-hmm. what changed um, about 12 months ago, last August, was Quentin got wind that somebody had used a metal detector to find large nuggets 350 kilometers to the west close to Karata, which is also known for these uh, gold nuggets. People there run around on the beaches and actually find gold nuggets. And and nobody has ever really uh, found anything that is the source. And the news they put out uh, a week ago was that they actually, on this property that they've optioned, they've actually uh, blasted or chiseled out of the bedrock uh, large sort of watermelon-sized seed-sized uh, um, gold nuggets that are very different. There's not much pyrite there. It's like the uh, a, a different version, a much coarser version. Quinton has pointed out that the the rocks are not as as fine, you know, pebble conglomerate like they are in the Witzwaters Rand Reef, and as they are at Beaton's Creek, they're, they're a, a much coarser mix of uh, greenstone basalts and stuff. So, so you're probably closer to the shore area. And mm-hmm. the big picture theory is that uh, this same precipitation event happened over here, except without the pyrite in it, and that we have a system of these fairly large nuggets, but uh, distributed over a very large area, much larger than this particular eight-kilometer focus. So right now, the task is to see, okay, what have we got in our little eight-kilometer stretch? Can we measure it? They've got a 700-kilo bulk sample uh, in the, the, to see what uh, what kind of grade it runs. Uh, then they have to develop a method for how do you explore this? Uh, do you? Uh, and they're thinking of using large diameter RC holes to basically sample the stratigraphy, and it's going to be extremely expensive. But if they can show that there is a grade sufficient to support uh, open pit mining for the shallow part and underground for it, we have a potentially huge, huge discovery. All right. Well, it's a, it's yeah. It's there's going to be some news coming out uh, sometime soon, John. Do you think uh, the 700 uh, bulk sample? I'm yes. This is what 700 kilos. Is. It's only kilos. 700 kilos, and they're developing the protocols for how do we go about measuring because these are 
it's not like it's continuous disseminated gold in this rock. Uh, mm-hmm, it's fairly right. continuous in the Witz Watersrand Reef. Here you have one maybe in this, uh, you know, square foot area, and then maybe another one over there. If you use an ordinary drill core, the odds of hitting one of these nuggets, which actually are significant when you when you divide that the weight of that nugget over a ton of rock is a significant rate, you, mm-hmm. you'll have a difficult time actually measuring it in the traditional way you do where the gold is disseminated uh, fairly evenly through any uh, ton of rock. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be quite a challenge, I would think, is to try to determine mm-hmm. what the grades are and then whether it's continuous over, let's say, that eight-kilometer strike length and then down dip and so forth. I mean, it's a... I mean, that not that the biggest risk perhaps here is, is being able to determine getting a handle on grade and continuity? Yes, and, and, and that's what the market's focused on. They're sort of discounting the idea that uh, we're talking like about 100 kilometers of maybe 60 kilometers going down to 1,700 meters. Uh, uh, they're discounting that scenario. They're just saying, okay, well, what, what do you have here? Five, 10 million ounces uh, localized uh, freak show where somehow these nuggets uh, ended up in this uh, uh, sedimentary package. And, yes, yeah, so, so that's the battle that the company is going to fight over the next three to six months. But in, in three to six months, there will have been additional work done, probably holds drill to confirm stratigraphy, and, 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 and you'll see the market shift from saying, okay, this is a localized thing with cult people betting on the uh, bigger picture thing to, Everybody realizing this, the Witz Waters Rand Reef is present here undercover, was never found in the past because in the old times, uh, uh, people didn't really know what they were supposed to be looking for. Uh, the work done in other areas showed that, well, yeah, the Witz Waters Rand type reef conglomerates are here, but there's no gold and even meaningful uranium in it. So this is a dead system. But all of a sudden, you have evidence that it is not dead. And it's, it's a freak that it happens to be outcropping here. This entire area is largely undercover. These gold nuggets they may have been finding on the beach to the north are essentially eroded away from original um, you know, sedimentary basin rocks that had the horizons exposed and wiped out. So there you have now this million-hectare area that's going to become the focus of exploration. And if the lateral continuity... Is present, and that's the thing we still need to uh, find out because the Witz Reef, you know, it, it basically was a scarp that uh, stuck out uh, uh, on the north, and somebody saw the horizon and they chased it, uh, you know, down dip about 30 meters until it became sulfides, and then they were stuck, and then they uh, um, figured out how to use cyanide to get gold out of sulfides, and then some smart people realized this stuff must dip all the way into this big basin, and they staked all the down-dip stuff, and that's how the giant uh, South African gold mining houses were developed, and you had mines just rimming the entire sort of 400-kilometer stretch. And we could see something similar emerge here in, 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 in this northern, northwestern part of Australia, in the Pilbara Craton, where the Hemsley uh, Basin is still present. Well, it's very, very exciting. No question about it. John, you've done an excellent job of explaining the story, I think. I, I want to thank you very much. Just with less than a minute left, I, I would think that security issues might be something else, uh, too, because you've got this nugget effect. You've got people out there. You know, the temptation is always strong to stick one of those things in your pocket rather than let the shareholders have it, right? You think that might be an issue, too, down the road, possibly? 
Well, not in a commercial commercial uh, processing. I mean, you have a chain of custody methods, uh, yeah. uh, protocols. Uh, but it was kind of interesting watching the videos. It looked like an old-fashioned uh, stock promotion con job where you set uh-huh. up all these uh, suckers and you know, you run around with a metal detect <laughs> and then you bang away. And, wow, look, gold! Yeah. I mean, that normally doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we, you, you and I know Quentin Henning. He certainly wouldn't sponsor anything like that. So, uh, uh, you know, people no, will be no, people. When, when, but, uh, John, you've done an excellent job. We're out of time. Thank you so much for your help on this. Right. And we'll look You're welcome, some more about this and, yep. and some of your other interesting ideas, too, from time to time. Folks, we do have to uh, go to break now, but don't go away because Richard Mayberry is going to be with me. And he's going to talk about why dysfunction in government is actually a good thing. Well, it's not what we hear every day in the mainstream media, but that's what I think Richard's going to tell us. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Richard Mayberry. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSR. RPF, respectively. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. Richard uh, is the editor of Richard J. Mayberry's U.S. and World Early Warning Report. I'm having a lot of trouble getting that out. Richard J. Mayberry's U.S. and World Early Warning Report. Uh, I just simply know it as the Early Warning Report. It is a monthly newsletter that not only helps us use history and to understand uh, what is going on in the world, but also has a lot of very good, profitable, long-term investment ideas. And the Early Warning Report uh, is a letter that I look forward to every month getting. And uh, 
you know, you get a lot of newsletters sometimes. This is one that uh, I really miss if it doesn't uh, come in my mailbox on time. Uh, it's earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com to learn more about what Richard is doing. And I think there's probably some free stuff there as well. But, but uh, hey, look, his, his letter is one of the best bargains I've ever seen. It's very inexpensive for what you get. Uh, so I hope that you'll all check it out, earlywarningreport.com. Thanks for joining me, Richard. Uh, thank you, Jay. I always enjoy being here. Your uh, show is such a breath of fresh air. There's uh, practically nobody out there doing what you're doing, and um, I, for one, thank you very much. There are a few other people, Richard, yourself included, not necessarily on the radio all the time, but um, there are some other people out there, so I am encouraged from time to time. There are still some people who understand liberty and want to retain it, and liberty and happiness. And uh, First of all, before we go any further, I, I have to congratulate you and your, and your wife, uh, Samantha, for your 50 years together. Wedding anniversary, you just, I guess you just celebrated last month, right? Well, no, uh, it's in August. Oh, oh, it will be. So it's coming up. So I, I'm I'm premature and uh, I'm premature in uh, celebrating it yet, huh? Yes. Thank you very but, much. I appreciate it. But, but I think it's a good bet that you'll be with Samantha uh, for 50 years now that you've been 49 years and all but one month. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, in any event, uh, what, what's the what's what is really the uh, what's the answer? How do people stay together that long? Because it isn't all that common. I mean, people half the population. They seem to marriages seem to end in divorce. Yeah, I you know I hate to sound old fashioned, but um, we got married in '67 when uh, the old uh, values that uh, people were taught, you know, by the churches and all, uh, were still very much alive, and people uh, felt that they needed to be protected. Uh, things like fidelity <laughs> and uh, fidelity, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, um, and and um, we, uh, we, you know, why, while we pride ourselves on being very tolerant of anybody else's lifestyle, as long as the other people aren't hurting somebody, it's fine with us. But we've always stuck with uh, what somebody might have been taught back in, let's say, 1920, um, and it's worked. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, after... Some number of years, I've come to the conclusion that uh, these old uh, values and you know taking a marriage vow seriously, mm-hmm. those, those sorts of things um, became the rules for many centuries because they work. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm very pragmatic about it. Um, if you if you found something that works, stay stay with it. So, stay with it. Yeah. Well, that's really, I mean, you've talked about this whole issue. A lot of the things that are going wrong geopolitically in our country and so on and so forth are because some of those old-fashioned values have broken down. The the whole idea of making a promise and then keeping it, doing what you say you're going to do is one of the keys, right? Right, absolutely. I I think that, you know, that's probably the single most important one in a marriage. What, What has been lost is the understanding that marriage is a contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're you're agreeing to do certain things when you get married. And now, what wasn't done back in the old days, and is done some today, but not nearly enough, is for two people to sit down and work it out as a contract. You know, I will do this, and you will do that. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of, of commitments um, have to be made, and they have to be kept. But uh, I think one of the the bad things about the old way of doing things is people just 
um, recite uh, their marriage vows that have somebody taught them that have been customary for centuries. And they yeah. don't really think about what they're saying or what the words mm-hmm. mean. They really ought to make their own vows, and they ought to have their own personal written contract about what they're agreeing to. And I think that all by itself would eliminate a whole lot of marital strains. And it's not something that you you would say to yourself, oh, gee, we didn't do that when we got married, so it's too late. No, you can sit down any day with your spouse and work out your marriage contract for the uh-huh. rest of your life. Well, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, and occasionally revisit it. Maybe once a year, sit down and revisit it. Maybe there are some changes that you'd like to make. And since it's a contract, um, it, as long as both parties agree to the change, then it's a new contract. All right. Well, some very practical advice on a personal scale, but I would also suggest, Richard, that maybe if our country and our leaders had understood and stayed with the promises that were made in the Constitution, we might not have nearly all the problems we have now. One of those main things you talk about in your upcoming August newsletter uh, is this uh, dysfunctional government, which actually was, in a way, was, was programmed into the Constitution by our founding fathers. The idea that it could actually be a good thing that government is dysfunctional, of course, is something that we've been trained is not is not correct. We've been all, you know, we hear every day on the news uh, the dismay from the mainstream media about the health care agreement not breaking, the Republicans not being able to put through a health care agreement. But you point out in your upcoming letter that there's really some some wisdom to that, that in fact it was almost designed to be dysfunctional if government gets too big and too powerful, Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. The American founders were not a bunch of dummies, and they were intelligent enough to know that they were setting up a government, and a government has political power, and they knew what political power was. It's the legalized privilege of using brute force on persons who have not harmed anyone. And we're all entitled to use force in self-defense. But only governments have the legal privilege of initiating the use of brute force on people. It's, it's hidden. It's a mailed fist in a velvet glove. Yeah. But it's there. And, and everybody knows uh, when the government passes a law, what that really means is you will do what you are told or people with guns will come to your home and haul you away to prison. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the essence of government. And the founders understood that, and they realized that that has a tremendous inclination to uh, corrupt people. Anybody who has the ability legally to initiate the use of force on persons who haven't harmed anyone, that is corrupting. There's no getting around it. It's an evil thing. And the founders set up the whole system to minimize the use of force on people who haven't harmed anyone. They were scared to death of that power. And um, they, in fact, you know, their recent studies have shown that they all were afraid of each other having that power. It's an amazing thing. If you had said to Jefferson, uh, uh, you know, can you be trusted with this power? And he'd say, yeah, but I don't trust anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> and they all had that attitude. They they couldn't trust each other as well as whoever else might be in on the government. So, um, you know, that's the first thing to understand about the the early American system that the founders were trying to prevent tyranny. Now, 
they, it lasted until the 20th century. It worked very, very well until the 20th century. And then the schools and the colleges um, were taken over by socialists, and socialists just love political power. They believe it's really nifty stuff because they have plans for us, and they don't want any of us to escape. And so they want that power to make sure that their plans are put into place. And a good example is Obamacare. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just forced onto you, you know? I mean, here you are minding your own business, living your own life, and the government comes along and forces this thing onto you. So um, the, uh, the corrupting effects of power... Um, were kind of, the understanding of that was kind of washed away in the 20th century as the socialists took over the schools and taught people that political power is really great stuff. And you get to like the mid-20th century, and there's practically no disagreement anymore between Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. Right. There's their, their speeches sound different, and their advertising looks different, but their actual behavior is practically identical. They're all working hard to build the biggest, most powerful government in the history of the world, and they managed to do that. And today, one result of that is that there are more than, try to grasp this, there are more than 300,000 federal laws. Mm. And the federal politicians and bureaucrats make up another Three to four thousand laws per year, and every one of those is backed by that threat of force. Do what you are told, or people with guns will come to your home and haul you away to prison. Um, most people aren't even aware of it. Uh, the The actual fact is that the average American commits three felonies a day without wow. even knowing it. And so you go to those, jail for felonies. Yes, right. Yeah, you know, fel- a felony generally means. Uh, at least a year in jail. <laughs> and and uh, so one of my favorite examples of this is that <clears throat> we've all uh, been on the edge of a pond or a stream or a lake and uh, picked up a stone and thrown it in the water, maybe skipped the stone. Well, that's a felony. Is that right? And that's right. Yeah, as <clears throat> you know, these, these power junkies in Washington passed a law saying that if you put anything into a fresh water body, a fresh body of water um, that isn't already there, it's pollution, and that's a felony. So even if, if it's on your own property, yeah, even on your own pop- property. If if your ten year old child picks up a stone and skips it into the water, that's a felony. And you know that's America now. I mean, it's the the freedom that we were born with is gone. And uh, that brings us back to the founders. Um, the system they created, if you read the Constitution and, and ignore the interpretations of the Supreme Court and other people, just read it the way it was written for the typical American back in uh, 1787. Um, you know, just sit down and read it, and, and what you'll find is that the thing is designed so that the politicians and bureaucrats can't get along with each other. They mm. cannot get anything done. And there are, the, the, basic, the basic frame of it is you've got these two houses of Congress and the president, and the, everybody who's a lawmaker is 
just some guy who won a popularity contest somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> we call we call them elections, but they're popularity contests. Sure. And so the whole federal government is run by these people who won popularity contests and who don't know anything necessarily about the things that they're making decisions about. And they're inherently split up, divided between a House and a Senate, and um, they the process for making laws is just so cumbersome. It's very clear the founders really didn't want the government to do much of anything at all. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, what, what would you call the hatreds, the jealousies that grew up under this system were extreme during the 19th century. There were um, numerous, uh, well, it was very, very common for the senators and the congressmen, uh, the representatives, to have fistfights on the floors <laughs> of the legislature. And uh, some of them were, were really bad. Uh, you know, people would be crippled up for, for years. And there was one case, you know, my favorite case, of them not getting along with each other and not being able to do anything to us because they didn't get along, was in 1857 when at least 30 congressmen went at each other in a full-on brawl on the floor of the House. <laughs> and, you know, I'd love to have been there to see that. But that's an example of how well the founders designed this thing so that there would be so much infighting that they wouldn't be able to do anything to us. Uh, and the result was that <clears throat> America became the most free country the world ever saw. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, let's say, well, throughout the, throughout the 19th century, um, the typical American, except for uh, seeing the local sheriff, the local judge, and the mailman, the typical American had almost no contact with government at all. He never saw the government. There was no income tax. There were practically no regulations. He lived his life his own way. And the government was just this thing that he heard about that's a long way away, but it it didn't touch his life other than for those three cases. So America became this incredibly free place where people were, among other things, free to experiment and invent new things, and America became the innovator of the world. And by, let's say, by 1920 or so, the, the economy had been so robust for so mm-hmm. long and poverty had declined so much under this free system, that, you know, so the system of liberty and, and free markets, that in 1920, the average American lived vastly better, vastly better, than royalty did in 1776. Mm-hmm. They had better, yeah, better food, better transportation, better communication, better pretty much everything than royalty did in 1776. That's how fast the progress was and how um, widespread it was in America. But Showing that the, uh, that the founding fathers' notion that the least government is the best government had some wisdom, had some absolutely. truth to it probably. Yeah, absolutely. It was the irrefutable proof that their system was the right way to go, to set up a government so somebody else can't set up one, and then cripple it so it can't do anything. It's just a placeholder. It it just occupies this space 
so there's a no power vacuum for somebody else to move into, but it doesn't do anything. And that's the way it worked out. I mean, it's it's an amazing story. If you if you follow the economic progress of the United States from um, let's say the Constitution, seventeen eighty seven to nineteen twenty. It's, it's, it's miraculous. I mean, it really is miraculous. Well, why, why is the story not being told except by yourself, Ron Paul, a few people here and there? Uh, and, and why is it then that we've lost this tremendous amount of liberty? Because it seems as though if people understood it, they wouldn't want government doing all these things for them. But obviously, we've been programmed, I guess, through the universities and through, our, through our, all the institutions of our country, I guess, to, to get us to be subservient or get us to be dependent on government, I guess, right? Is that yeah. is that the idea, so that those that are providing the services can be in control, control our lives, get get wealthier, have yeah. their uh, their access to the to the special privileges of uh, of money and power? Oh, absolutely, yeah. the The awful thing that happened was this rise of socialism. Uh, it came along in the mid eighteen hundreds and it grew. and And you have to admit that you know most of the people who believed in it back then were um, you know, they were good people. They they just didn't understand enough economics to realize mm-hmm. how insane right. socialism is. And so uh, the socialists hit on this brilliant scheme to take over the schools and the colleges, which they did. And by 1920, you've got most of the population being taught socialism without even knowing it, not being told what it was. And that's really the case now. I mean... Um, practically everybody that comes out of high school or college is taught to be a socialist and doesn't have the foggiest idea of what it is that that they've actually been taught. Um, and the higher the studies show that the higher your level of schooling, the more socialist you tend to be. That's exactly right. No question about it. Well, yeah, Richard, how can how can this change? Because as I read your your letter that's coming out soon. Um, you know, you you seem to be suggesting that all this dysfunction is actually good news, but will people actually understand what you're talking about as a result of all of this um, all of this dysfunction? Well, I mean, um, I understand this notion that government can't do only you know they can't go more than so far because they become dysfunctional, mm-hmm. but. You know that the, the people's minds have to change. They have to understand what liberty is and why it's desirable. Because as they see it now, the masses see only the notion of more goodies is the good thing. And you know, as as one investment banker told me some time ago, this misguided understanding of capitalism said that the that what capitalism is all about is getting as much as you can for as little work as possible. Which, in fact, of course, is not the case at all. True, true capitalism requires you to work extremely hard to compete with others who will come in to take profits away from you if you don't continue to do better and, and provide a better, you know, more services and more supplies. Yeah. So how do I guess my question is how do we get how do people begin to understand this? I guess your newsletter, my radio show, you know, we we try, but man, it seems like it's really difficult because you got all the major media just keep pounding away with this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, the way I've actually, you know, my, my way of thinking about this has actually changed in the last few months. I, I have always uh, assumed that we have to keep teaching about the system of liberty and free markets, and eventually people will understand enough that they'll go back in the direction that, the, that was planned early on. And um, what I realize now is actually the change is happening without most people understanding 
why. It's, mm. it's just, it's accidental, um, probably, but nevertheless true that socialism is pretty much dead. The socialist structures still exist, but as a theory to believe in, it's dead as a doornail. Um, you just never hear anybody except Bernie Sanders um, making a case for socialism anymore. And right. after the, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics fell apart, it was obvious to the whole world that socialism is a catastrophe. It doesn't work. So um, the, um, the unity that used to exist between liberals and conservatives or Democrats and Republicans back during the, the middle of the 20th century, that's gone now. Um, and this cooperation that they once had in passing all of these laws, that's breaking up. And it's exactly what the founders wanted to happen. They wanted, it's what I call um, discord by design. Mm-hmm. That, that's the U.S. Constitution, is discord by design, so that the power junkies can't cooperate with each other in stealing our liberty and our money. So um, we're coming back to that simply because the socialist paradigm has died and the two sides don't have any flag to rally around anymore. And they're, in, they're up there in, in Congress and other parts of the government arguing and fighting with each other constantly now. And the whole thing is getting paralyzed exactly the way it was back in the 19th century that the founders intended. So... We are at a position now where a big opportunity is developing to return to the original system where we were free to have a free economy and to, and to really make poverty go away and progress to be a solid thing. But, um, the, but for know, that to happen, uh, Richard, uh, with just yeah. a few minutes left, for that to happen, yeah. though, people are going to have to stop looking to other people for, for stuff and start doing it themselves, right? Yeah, you think that's right. going to be a natural outcome of an inability of government to perform and provide the things people are counting on? Well, I think, as, as you know, because you do a lot of, a lot of shows on this, among other things, uh, and in your newsletter, um, the government's just, just it's faltering now. It's in deep yeah. trouble. It's got $20 trillion of debt. And as interest rates rise, it's got to pay more and more interest. It's headed for a financial disaster and it's simply not going to be able to yes. you know, do the handouts anymore. The same situation as, as um, uh, Europe is in. You know, they, they believed in socialism for a while, and it wrecked the place. Yeah. So they're in deep trouble, and um, the U.S. is going to be the same way, and that's going to be the opportunity. People are going to be stuck without the government that they think is a permanent thing. And... That's the chance for people like you and I who still believe in liberty and, and free markets to, um, to begin uh, really getting some traction and showing people that you, you know, the government is not your friend, it's your enemy, and it has ruined the country, and we've got to go back to the original system. All right. Well, it seems to me that's absolutely true. We're we're getting broken, as uh, one of my guests said recently. We're going to have to learn how to do 
things ourselves because when the system breaks down, but that's good. I mean, we'll go back to the basics again and, and then start trading with our neighbors, assuming, of course, the government will allow us to trade, to barter, to use currency. They want to take away that from us, too. They're proposing to do that. Richard, we're just about out of time. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about because it's, you're one of the few people that talk about this, and that is the velocity of money. This has everything to do with inflation or deflation. Uh, in your newsletter, you still see velocity very, very tame. Do you, what, what might change that? I think that we're coming to a case where um, the dollar is going to be very much more suspect than it is well, it's right It's becoming now. that way now. The dollar is yeah. starting to, to weaken very dramatically. Right. And at some point, people are going to start fleeing from the dollar, and that will be a rise in velocity. And you'll have people taking money out of their bank accounts and out of their mattresses and everywhere else. To buy stuff to protect their purchasing power, right, Richard? Right, right. And, you know, run out to buy stuff before the dollar becomes worth even less. And that'll be the rise in velocity that'll create the boom. All right. Well, we'll have to leave a go at that uh, to be continued sometime in the near future, hopefully, Richard. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, folks, next week, uh, Michael Oliver should be back with us. Uh, Eric Coffin, who is uh, a great stock picker when it comes to junior exploration companies, will be with us. And Ralph Shearing, the president and CEO of a new gold and silver producer in Mexico, will be with us. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 